stepping in on doing, doing some teaching with you guys and on Sunday mornings. And I just want to welcome you guys, first of all, and so glad to see so many people here. And uh, we're very, very glad to see you this evening. And we're going to be back in First Peter, right where that Titus had left off. And if you remember, we were in First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And before we get started, Cody's handing out some things, and it's just um, something that you can use to write notes on. There's a really basic outline, but I've got all the scriptures in there that I'm going to read, so that way you can't, you don't have to flip to them real quick, because I'm going to be going through them kind of quick, so you can just follow along with the scripture reading. And then also, we're going to get a little bit into some church history, which is something that I really love to teach and to talk about, and there's a little bit in there uh, on church history, so that's going to be pretty fun, pretty fun. So what we've been learning with Peter is he's been teaching us submission to authority, it's a fun topic, right? <laughs> Submission to authority. So that's what we've been learning. And we've learned that Jesus Christ is always our example. He's our perfect example in everything that we do. So we're going to be in verse 21 through 25, which is going to be showing us submission. But the, the uh, person that we're going to be focused on, on is Christ and how that he was submissive to the Father. Uh, we're going to be looking also at the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And, of course, we're going to tie in a little bit of church history. So that's going to be fun. Um, now, remember that Peter is talking to Christians. It's always important to know who the audience is. And so we know that Peter is talking to Christians here. And so he's saying that now that you are saved, now that you are saved, you're a believer, we don't just continue living, living our lives like the world does, right? We're different. So to become a Christian is to become an alien in this world. We're really a stranger in a strange land. So we need to understand that the Christian life isn't necessarily an easy life. And that's why we're told to, to count the cost. And sometimes the cost can be very high. And what does it cost to be a Christian? What does it cost to be a Christian? It costs everything. It costs everything. But the thing is, it costs everything now rather than later, right? Because we know what the ultimate cost is of not being a Christian. And it's infinitely higher, right? Because we know what happens if we're outside of Christ. But we are image bearers of Christ, and so we've been given the greatest task that mankind has ever been entrusted with. And that's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And scripture has instruction for two different types of people. We have instruction for those who are in Christ. And we have instruction for those who are lost. Now the gospel is for both. That's important to know. The, the gospel is for both. Uh, for those that are lost, it is life. It is life. We can only be saved by faith alone, and that's in Christ Jesus alone. We can't earn our way into heaven. There's no works that we can do to, to be saved. We can't be impressive to God. But for us that are in Christ, we're given what's called imperatives. And imperatives are given to people who are already in Christ, right? And that just shows us what's pleasing to God, how that we can grow in our Christ-likeness, because um, that's our goal as Christians, is to be more and more like Jesus Christ. 
And what we've learned through Peter that, that Titus has been teaching is he's, he's already shown us here that there's two different areas of life that to be submissive in. And the first area of life is in all human institutions. And we learned that in chapter uh, 2, verse 13. So in verse 13, we learn to be submissive to every institution. And then in verse 18, we learned how to be submissive in the workplace. That's what this is about, being submissive to those who are in, th in authority in the workplace. But how do we know what it's like to be submissive? We've been give given these examples. But Jesus Christ is always our ultimate example. So let's read. Uh, we're going to start with uh, 21 and we'll read through 25. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's look back at verse 21 real quick. Verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, living, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, I want to introduce you to a theological term, and that is penal substitutionary atonement. Now, that is something that um, this verse is talking about, and we're going to be introducing you to a lot of different theological terms because... They're really packed with a lot of meaning, and um, besides, you guys are smarter than the adults, so I think you can probably uh, follow along with this. But this penal substitutionary term atonement is just—it uh, just means that Jesus Christ died for you, that He took your place upon the cross. Jesus Christ suffered for you, as it's talking about, as it says here, and this just means in your place as a substitute, because we know that we deserve the wrath of God. God's wrath, you see, is going to be poured out on anybody that's ever committed even one sin. Just one sin. And Scripture takes this a little bit farther, because in Romans chapter 5, we learn that Adam, whenever he sinned, all of his offspring, every person that was born of Adam, which is every person in this room, have been given a sin nature that's passed on from him. So nobody's off the table on this, right? Nobody's off the table on this. And so what we're going to do here is we want to go over four different things that Jesus did for us so that we can be made righteous before a holy God, before a holy God. And I've got some of this in your notes. Number one, so the number one thing of what did Jesus do in order to make us righteous before a holy God is he took on the nature of man. He took on the nature of man. And this is something that's very often taught incorrectly in churches today. But in church history, it was very well understood. And that's part of, part of why we're going to look at a little bit of church history on this. But um, something that's confusing, I think, to a lot of people, because you hear this kind of thing, is Jesus Christ never left heaven. Have you ever thought about that? 
Think about this. Jesus Christ is omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? He's totally God. He's, he's 100% God. He didn't come sucking out of the universe into the body of a man, right? And so this is where a lot of people get confused. Jesus took on an additional nature. He took on the nature of man. So he added to himself the nature of man. He was still omnipresent. He was still everywhere. He was still God, right? But he took on the nature of man. This is an important point for us to understand, and we're going to explain why as we go through this. But the historical confession, what the church has always confessed throughout church history, is that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. And those words truly are important. Because a lot of people today say fully. Uh, Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man because that would be a contradiction. And that's actually um, a historical heresy called Nestorianism. But two things can't be full at the same time and in the same relationship. So that's why we say that Jesus Christ was truly God and truly man. So our words are important, and we're going to start learning why that it's so important for us to use the, the proper terminology, the proper words, because everything that we use has ramifications to that. Another thing that Jesus did was he was born of the Virgin Mary. So we want to, we want to talk about that a little bit. And this is how this ties in to how that he took on the nature of man. So why was Jesus born a virgin rather than having a human father? You ever thought about that? Well, really, there was two reasons that he was born a virgin rather, rather than having a human father. Adam's sin, we've already mentioned Adam's sin and how it was imputed or passed on to all, all of his offspring. Um, in Romans, Romans chapter 5, it indicates that that sin nature is actually passed on by the Father. It's passed on by us. So if Jesus Christ was born with a human father, then Adam's sin nature would have been passed on to him. Does that make sense? So that's one of the reasons why that Jesus was born without a human father, that he was born from the Virgin Mary, right? Um, one of the other things that we need to talk about is another big theological word that I like to use, and I'm going to keep drilling these into you until you get them, but it's called the hypostatic union, the hypostatic union. All that means, it's just a big word that means that um, Jesus is truly God and truly man. And these two natures are united and cannot be separated. So that's what that means. And so this avoided having a deified person. So if Jesus came sucking out of the universe into the body of a man, he would have been a deified person, right? It also avoided being a humified God. Right? Because what he did was he took on an additional nature, that of man. So he was truly man, exactly like we are. If Jesus was a deified person, then he could not have paid for our sins. He wouldn't have been able to pay for our sins because he wouldn't have been truly a person. He wouldn't have truly been a man. And of course, that same thing, the same principle applies if he was a humified God. Right? That's why that, that our words are important. It's important to understand that Jesus took on this nature. Right. And so here, this is where we get into church history. And this is where I want to talk. And I've gotten your notes. Uh, what's called the Chalcedonian Creed. The Chalcedonian Creed really helps us here. And this is um, a creed still today that every Christian theologian that I know of um, holds to this and says that this is the boundaries in which is set 
that if you break through these boundaries, you get into heresy. So it's very important. And these words were very carefully chosen in this creed. It was written in 451, and I just want to read it to you because um, I think it's important. Uh, also, I mentioned that word heresy. If you don't know what that word heresy means, it just means that it's something that if you believe it, then you're not a Christian. You're lost. And so we're trying to guard you guys from that. Let's look at the, the Chalcedonians' creed real quick. And I think you'll, I want to point out a couple words in here. I'm not going to completely give an exposition of this because this would take about an hour. But It says, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead, and also perfect in manhood. There's those words. Truly God and truly man. Important words. Of a rational soul and body, coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and co-substantial with us according to the manhood, and all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation. Born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood. One and the same, Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Father has handed down to us. Now, we're in Sunday school, we're probably going to cover this. So, um, and we're trying to formulate a plan to where we're going to take everybody through historical theology at some point or church history. And so we'll get a little bit deeper into this whenever we get into Sunday school. We just don't have time to do it right now. So my purpose in reading this to you is just to familiarize you with it because it really is important. Um, let's get back to talking about why that... Um, Another thing that Jesus did in order to make us righteous before a holy God. So we see that he took on the nature of man. That was number one. He took on the nature of man. He came as one of us. Truly man. Also truly God. The second thing that he did in order for us to be made righteous before a holy God is he took the wrath of God in our place. So Jesus took the wrath of God in our place. Romans 6.23 says... For the wages of sin is death. So God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly righteous. He's perfectly just. So sin has to be punished. And only Jesus Christ could take the wrath of God in order to pay for the sins of his children. Right? Jesus had to be truly God. He had to be truly man. He had to be man in order to pay for the sins of mankind, right? 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, So also, as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And this last Adam that it's talking about here is Jesus. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus accomplished, you see, 
what Adam failed to do. He was obedient to God. He was obedient to God. Just also, he also had to be, he had to be truly God in order to satisfy the justice of the Godhead. So that's, a, that's another important point. Because you see a creature or something that's created, uh, it cannot satisfy the wrath and justice of its creator. Only God, only God can satisfy his own wrath and justice. He's the only one that's worthy to do that, right? So remember that we're, we're all sinners and we have sinned against this eternal God. And so sin, it always deserves an eternal punishment. And so only an eternal, an eternal being can absorb or take upon himself a, a punishment that should be an eternal crime, right? That's why that we know that hell is eternal. Because we've sinned against an eternal God. That's an eternal crime. It took an eternal person to pay for that. That's Jesus Christ. So that's why that he had, one of the reasons why he had to be entirely, truly God, right? It had to be Jesus. It had to be Jesus. Nobody else could do this. It had to be Christ. The number three thing that Jesus did in order to make us righteous before a holy God is he rose from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. So the wages of sin is death, as we've just talked about. So we know that Jesus took this upon himself. And it talks about how that he bore our sins. Look down in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Verse 24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds... You were healed. So because Jesus was never a sinner, he never sinned. Rather, he bore our sins. He rose from the grave, you see, because the grave could not hold him. The, the grave could not hold him because he was not a sinner. But this, this, this does something for us, too. This gives us hope. This gives each one of us hope because just as Jesus Christ rose from the grave, so is everybody who belongs to him. So all of us, if we are in, in Christ Jesus, then one day we're going to raise, be raised from the dead. And so will anybody else that we love who is in Christ Jesus. This is a very important point. The number four thing that I want to talk about as to why that Jesus, what did he do in order to make us righteous before a holy God, is he ascended to heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven. So Jesus, he didn't only raise from the grave, but he ascended to heaven. This also gives us hope, doesn't it? Because when we die, or when our loved ones die, then we're face to face with Christ. And that should really be the greatest prize. You know, a lot of people talk about how that they so long to see heaven and, and heaven's such an amazing thing. But I, I really think the mark of a true believer is to see the face of Christ. That's the thing that I so long to do. I can't wait to see Jesus. I mean, it's going to be cool to see heaven. It's going to be cool to see the, the streets of gold. But what's your prize? Is that your prize? Or is Jesus Christ your prize? Jesus Christ is always our prize. Let's look at verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus, you see, is sinless. We've already talked about this a little bit. He's perfect and he's righteous. So an innocent man was killed for you. An innocent man was killed for me. 
so that we could be made, made right before a holy God. An innocent man died for guilty sinners. Well, what kind of love is that? That's really a love that we cannot understand. It's a love that we can't comprehend. But you should know that you are loved by God. You are loved by God. And this is very important for us to know. Let's look at verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So this shows us an ultimate love. It shows us ultimate forgiveness. And it also shows us ultimate faithfulness. Ultimate faithfulness. So let's look at a section of scripture that shows how Jesus shows this ultimate love, forgiveness, and faithfulness. We're going to look at Luke 23, 33 through 37. When they came to a place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So Jesus here is showing love and he's showing forgiveness to the very people who are killing him this is amazing he's showing love and forgiveness to the very people that are killing him this is incomprehensible only god can show this kind of love um, only god can show this kind of forgiveness and it's so important to understand that jesus he's not forgiving them of all of their sins and welcoming them into the family of God. That's not what he's doing here. What he's doing is he's forgiving them for the evil that they're doing to him in this moment, right? And so he's just showing us who he is. He's showing us some of his character, showing us some of his attributes and how amazing that it is that he loves us so much. I mean, if he loves, if he's, a, if he's forgiven these very people that are killing him, murdering him on the cross, how much can he forgive us? How much can he forgive us? This is amazing. We also see here the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in this verse. It shines through in this verse because what we see here is that it says Jesus kept entrusting himself to the Father. So he's entrusting his, himself to the Father even though he didn't want to endure what he was suffering. Jesus did what had to be done. He did what had to be done. He did what was right. Not necessarily what he wanted physically to do and spiritually to do. He went to the cross willingly. Don't, don't, miss, don't miss that, though. It's, it's very important that he went willingly to the cross. But sometimes the right thing to do isn't easy. It's not easy to do the right thing sometimes. Luke 22, 41 through 42 says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So we can see here that Jesus was faithful to God, even though it wasn't something easy to do. Even though it was the hardest thing. It was the hardest thing in the history of this planet. There's been nothing harder than what Jesus had to do. And I'm not talking about just dying on a cross. There's many people that died being a martyr for Jesus Christ. 
But I'm talking about taking all of the imputed sin of the world and placing upon his shoulders and the father turning his face away. This was something that was very, very difficult. And nobody will ever know how difficult that this really was. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that when we're facing things in life, that we should always glorify God, doesn't it? We should always be faithful to God. Let's look at verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. So Jesus Christ bore our sins on his body on the cross. And this is called imputation. This is another big word. I like to use big words because you guys are smart. Imputation. So this only, all this means to impute. It means to take something and place it upon someone else. That's what it means. So our sins were imputed or placed upon Jesus Christ and he bore them, which means he took them and he was able to withstand that. Have you ever felt the weight of your own sins? Have you ever felt the weight of your own guilt? I hope so. Because this is the first thing that impacts you after you hear the gospel and you become a Christian. So I, I, I can imagine what it would be like to have all the weight of every sin from every person who would ever believe in Jesus Christ all upon the shoulders of him at the same time. This must have been excruciating. Jesus took all of these sins for everyone who would ever believe in him. So this is, this is so important. Now, it talks about why he did this, and he did this so that we might continue sinning, right? No. No, that's not what it says. It says that he did this so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's what it's talking about. So this is the evidence of being a Christian. This is the evidence of being a Christian. To hate the sins that you once loved. That, that's a, a true mark of a Christian. We hate the sins that we once loved and we embrace the holiness that we once despised. It says here that for by his wounds you were healed. This isn't talking about um, physically. This is talking about spiritually. This is the context of what's going on here. Jesus died. He bore our sins so that our relationship, so that our standing, our position with God would be healed. That's what this is talking about. Jesus was killed and you were healed. That's what happened. So Jesus became a curse so that you could be made righteous. Verse 25 says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now sheep aren't very smart animals. They're really not. Um, and scripture calls you a sheep. How does that make you feel? <laughs> sheep, sheep don't realize that there's predators out there that's, that's waiting for them to devour them. So what they do is they wander off, right? Let's look at 1 Peter 5.8. So be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Guys, this someone is you. The someone that he wants to devour is you. This, is, this should be a wake-up call for, for all of us. Apart from Jesus Christ, you see, a sheep has no chance. And apart 
from the church, then you're just wandering among wolves. You're a sheep that's wandering among hungry wolves. And there's also a roaring lion out there waiting for you. And so this begs the question, do you know what a wolf is? Do you understand? You hear of wolves in sheep's clothing. You hear about wolves. And a lot of times you hear pastors talking about wolves. We just talked about a lion here. A wolf is someone uh, who claims to be a Christian and then leads people away from God. That's a wolf. A wolf stands behind a lot of pulpits across America. And a wolf teaches a lot of classes and a lot of churches across America also. Because you see, a wolf, you see, wants to be in leadership because that's where they can do the most damage. So this is why that it's so important for us to be under the shepherd. So how do you guard yourself? How do you guard yourself? You run to the shepherd. You run to the shepherd. You keep your nose in this book. You keep your nose in the Bible. And you test all things according to Scripture. And you pray that God gives you discernment and will guide you and guard you from all false teaching. And I can tell you something too. If any preacher or any teacher discourages you from testing what they're saying, um, then you should run. You should run from them. Because any Christian pastor or teacher longs for you to get your nose into this book and to test the things that they're saying so that your faith is reinforced. So that you are reinforced. But it's so important to get your nose in this book and make sure that you guard yourself. A wolf, you see, is going to discard you from testing them. They're going to discard, they're going to, they're going to discourage you. They're going to also try to shame you if you bring anything to their attention. Uh, they take things out of context. And speaking of context, the context of this last verse that we just read is that a Christian is under the guardian of your souls. And this is Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, right? So is Jesus Christ the guardian of your soul? That's the question. Or are you wandering among these roaring lions and these wolves that are out there? If you don't know Jesus, then don't wait another minute. Don't wait another minute. It's so easy to get lured out into the world by these shiny things of the world that Satan dangles in front of you. It's so easy to get off track and to, to get lured into these things and come out from under the shepherd. But please, stay under the shepherd. It is so important. Be submissive to the guardian of your souls. That's what this is talking about, submission. Just as we see that Jesus Christ was submissive to the Father, so we should be submissive to Christ. You need to show your love to Him. You need to show your love to one another, just as He showed and continues to show such an unfathomable love to every one of us. It's only in Him that we can find safety. That's it. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can find safety. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, God. Thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you're doing. God, I just pray that you would help us to learn and to grow and to be hungry for you. And God, I pray that you would give us discernment. Help us to, to be under you and to see what Satan is doing, not just in the world, but even in some churches across this country. God, I pray that you um, help us to, 
to be hungry for you, hungry for your word, and to be thankful for the amazing gift of salvation that you've given us, God. God, I pray that this is contagious. I pray that you, when each person that's sitting here, that they are encouraged to go out to their schools and everywhere that they go and proclaim the good news of the gospel to their friends and to anybody that will listen to them, God. That's each one of our jobs. I just pray that you would help us to do that. Love you so much, God. We thank you for everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.